We shouldn't talk about this may contain graphic descriptions and or explicit content that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hi everybody, I'm Key. And I'm V. And this is We Shouldn't Talk About This. Hey Key, how you doing today? I'm good, how are you? I'm doing great. Since you're doing great, mm-hmm. I remember a few weeks ago you were left of center on the outskirts. <laughs> A couple weeks ago, I was left of center off of the strip. Yes. In the outskirts and in the fringes in the corner out of the dip. Yes. And now you're doing great. Now I'm doing great. That's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy to hear. Yeah. Exactly. I'm, I'm, I've definitely, definitely rose from the ashes there. Yes. Like a phoenix. <laughs> like a phoenix for sure. I've been watching X-Men, the animated series on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Um... Like from back in the day? From the nineties, yeah. Like it is so bad, but it's so good. Like it is so, like it's so funny. It's so funny because, you know, I, I don't know, it's just like a different standard back then, you know, like yeah, voice acting yeah. and stuff. The guy who plays Professor X, like he has the best scream. Like and all he does is just scream all <laughs> the time. It's so good. I might have to check that out. It sounds entertaining. Yeah, and then like um in season three, like literally the latest X Men X Men movie about Jean Grey, like, right, like it's like I think it's Rising Phoenix or something like that. It came out in like 2018, 2018, 2017. But that movie and season three of X Men anime series are like right hand in hand. Like when I was watching it, I was like, oh snap! Like this is literally what was going on in the movie, except Jean was like younger in the movie. It's crazy. That is crazy. Well, it's good to see that they stuck to the storylines. Yeah, 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 because that's that's '90s Marvel right there. So it is good to see. So, what are we getting into today? So, I, you know, we we like cele- like people like celebrities, people like True. actors, singers. True. You know, but um, unfortunately, a lot of times with famous people, they're not all they're not internally happy yeah because you know different things going on in their life and then just having doubts of people really liking them for them and not for their talents and what they have and the scrutiny of the public the scrutiny of the public yeah oh definitely like you know just people saying oh she can't sing or something like that but it's like how about you sing in front of the super bowl stadium like you know come on that's just hard to do it cannot be easy to do and so um sometimes celebrities Overdose on drugs, unfortunately. But the other times, they just vanish. Whoa. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty heavy right there. And um, when a celebrity vanishes, there's no trace of them. But when a celebrity dies and there's no, there's no immediate cause of how they died, and it's uh, suspicious whether they were murdered or not. Right. It's even more interesting. Right. I think we should talk about that this week. I knew, like... Mysterious celebrity deaths. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think I think that would be a good one. Yeah, cause like you said, a lot of celebrities that we know die from overdoses, and even then, it's still kind of mysterious, cause there's mm-hmm. a lot of innuendo. Like, did they overdose on accident? Did they do it on purpose? Did someone, did someone. overdose them yeah. and make it look like? It was an unintentional overdose. Like, even something that seems clear-cut could still be mysterious, especially when it comes to celebrities. Yeah, it could, it could just be a hit. 
and like yeah. you know successful hit when when the when the news outlets say that now Speedy Gonzalez has died from yes, an overdose. Speedy. And no wonder so, he ran boom. so fast. Yeah, he was jacked up on stuff. Mm-mm-mm. He was he was in that powder too much. Hitting that nose candy. <laughs> Do you want to take it this week to go first? Yeah, sure I will. Let's do that. All right. All right. So, gather around, children. It's time for Tell a Crime. We are going to take it back to 1942, October 22nd in Baytown, Texas, to talk about Bobby Fuller. I have no idea who that is. Oh, you'll know when I get to the song name. Okay. Bobby Fuller was the middle of three boys. Fuller moved as a small child to Salt Lake City, Utah, where he remained until he was about 14 years old. Salt Lake! And then his family moved to El Paso, Texas. Oh. It was the same year that Elvis became popular and Bobby Fuller became mesmerized by the new rock and roll star. Nose hips. That's right. No, thank you. Thank you very much. That was not a good impression. Fuller soon adopted the style of fellow Texan Bobby H- Buddy Holly. I was about to say bully huddy. <laughs> Fuller soon adopted the style of fellow Texan Buddy Holly, fronting a four-man combo and often using original material. Fuller moved to Los Angeles in 1964 at the ripe age of 22 with his band, the Bobby Fuller Four, mm. and was signed to Mustang Records. Mustang Records. By, the, by this time, the group consisted of Fuller, his brother Randy, who was a vocal, vocalist slash guitar and bassist, Jim Reese on, on the other guitar, and Dwayne Corecro on drums. And this lineup was the group that recorded I Fought the Law. And the law won. <laughs> yeah. I went to places and I had none. I fought the law and the law, law won. won. Man. All right. Okay, then. Yeah, yeah. So, at the time when the British Invasion and folk rock were dominant genres in rock, Fuller stuck to Buddy Holly's style of classic rock and roll with Tex-Mex flourishes. His, his recordings, both covers and originals, also revealed the influences of Eddie Cochran, The Beatles, Elvis Presley, Little Richie, and the Everett Brothers, as well as surf guitar. His first top 40 hit was Let Her Dance, his second hit, I Fought the Law, peaked at number nine on Billboard Hot 100, March 12th to 19th week in 1966, and the song was originally recorded and written by Sonny Curtis, who became a member of Buddy Holly's former group, The Crickets, after Buddy Holly passed away. The group's third top 40 single was a cover of Holly's Love Made a Fool of You. So, within months of the popularity of I Fought the Law becoming a top 10 hit, Fuller was found dead and a car parked outside his Hollywood apartment. Wow. Yeah. The LA, the LA deputy medical examiner, Jerry Nelson, performed an autopsy. According to Deem Kuypers, the report states that Bobby's face, chest, and side were covered in petechia hemorrhages. Probably caused by gasoline vapors in summer in the summer heat, he found no bruises, no broken bones, no cuts, no evidence of a beating. 
Kuypers further, further explains that boxes for accident and suicide were checked, but next to the boxes were question marks. Despite the official cause of death, some commenters believe Fuller was murdered. Right, because usually, well, I don't know, I guess, okay, so, you know how I am a burgeoning FBI agent. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So, petechia usually occurs during strangulation because it's like the pressure from the circulation of blood being cut off causes the blood, like the tiny blood vessels to burst, which causes like the little like dots. Mm. But... If he was in the car and somehow suffocated, because they said gasoline vapors. Mm-hmm. I mean, monoxide only happens like in closed-in spaces. If he was found outside in the parking lot, it's kind of right. tough for that to happen. Unless he had like a hose from the tailpipe into, into the, the window, window, or something weird like that. But mm-hmm. there's no record of anything like that. Mm-mm. Huh. Okay. So, next we go to Eric Green, a relative of Sam Cooke, has stated, has cited similarities in the deaths, deaths of, of Sam Cooke and Bobby Fuller. Bobby Fuller bandmate Jim Reese, the one that was on the other guitar, suspected that Charles Manson played a role in Bobby's death, but never provided credible evidence. Charles Manson could not possibly have been involved because he was in prison from 1961 to 1967. A sensationalist crime website has speculated that the Los Angeles Police Department may have been involved because of Bobby's connection to a mafia-related woman. Hmm. It's kind of it's kind of jumping from place to place right now. It is these these theories are all over the place. <laughs> Bobby was buried at Forest Lawn Memorial Park in the Hollywood Hills of L.A. His death was profiled in the segment of Unsolved Mysteries. So, um, another, I guess not really a podcast, I guess more of like a talk show, um, called All Things Considered did a special on this, where they kind of like tried to dive in to see if anything was, anything was like, you know, missed in Mm -hmm. all of like the all the uh, cold case files and everything. Sometime after the Unsolved Murder segment, the case of Bobby's death was officially changed from suicide to accident. Still? Still, yeah. How, how, how did the accident occur? Yeah. I've never heard of this. I've, I've heard the song, mm-hmm. but I've never heard of him or his death. Yeah, it's very, 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 very strange. I want to know more about this mafia chick he was talking to. But why to. was he sitting in the car? Like, what could have... You know, you know, like, um, why would you just be sitting in the car long enough to die of a situation like that? I wonder if something happened in his apartment and the person moved him out to his car to, like, plant him there. But it would ha- it would have been done at a very very like you know early time or late time like a time where no one else was going to be out there right and then this was in the 60s right Mm -hmm. so it's not like okay i don't want to 
cast any stones or anything, but it's not like the procedures were as thorough as they are now. Right, right. Because with the advancement of time, we get the advancement of technology. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe there could have been evidence that they just didn't pick up on. Yeah. That they didn't realize was evidence. Yeah, absolutely. Because he was found July 18th, 1966. So yeah, there definitely, there definitely has to be something missing. Because, because you, I mean, unless, like, unless there's a hose going from the tailpipe to the car, which they would have seen, you can't just, you can't just die in your car outside. I mean, like, you can definitely melt in the sun and, like, you know, I guess have a lack of oxygen that way, but that's but a tough way to go. But as an adult, you're going to get out the car mm-hmm. once you get too hot. And Bobby, and Bobby it was on the, he was on the peak of his career. He just started. Like, right. Like, this, this is almost two years after he just moved to L.A. and he has some billboard hits already. Like he, he wants to keep like this you wanna keep the momentum going. I don't see how Bobby would have felt into the the thing of a suicide because I don't see how he would have been depressed by anything just because it's been so early in his career. Like, you know, like for for stars like him, like a decade down the road or like two decades down the road where they're still like, you know, pushing out songs and doing performances and then like, you know, they have fans and they have hate mail and then fan mail. That's one thing. But Bobby just started. And he was inspired by Elvis, Mm -hmm. who was, like, probably at the peak of his career in Mm -hmm. 66. So, you know, he would have had something to kind of live up to and really imitate. Yeah. And then then his friend, Buddy Holly, passed away, too. And that that could be, like, the only, like, thing that would get him down, probably, is, like, having Buddy Holly um, pass away. But that would be another thing, like, you know, like, I want to make, like, want Buddy to be happy. I want him to be proud of me. Like, you know, I want to keep going. Like, dedicate a song to him. Mm Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So, um, it was Bobby Fuller. Unfortunately, he died at the age of 23. Wow. Mm -hmm. That, that was an interesting one. Very mysterious. I'm, I'm perplexed. I am perplexed. Because it's just, I guess, all the circumstances surrounding it. Maybe you're onto something. Maybe something happened in his house and someone put him in the car. Mm-hmm. Because how else would it be explained? Yeah, and like that's really like the only way that it could have been like the, uh, like how how nothing, how, no evidence is there because they're only focusing on the car. Right. And sure, like you know they'll go in his apartment to check things out, but they won't be like looking for any kind of like um, any kind of like signs of resistance or anything like that right like a struggle or anything like that yeah and then and then like i didn't i didn't get exactly the make and model of the car but if it was like the back seat situation where like you know he sits in his car about to go and then some guy pops up with piano wire and like you know chokes him out or whatever one he would have had like you know the ligature marks yeah he would have ligature marks and then two i guess like the back seat could have been like dimpled or something yeah. Or there could have been a struggle, like him kicking his legs and flailing his arms. Like, you yeah. know, maybe the seats or something could have had marks on it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's just shrouded in mystery. Very much so. Mm. Cool story. Thank you, thank you. So mine is a much more recent 
more probably well-known person who also had a mysterious death. Brittany Ann Bertolotti was born November 10th, 1977 in Atlanta, Georgia to Sharon Murphy and Angelo Bertolotti. Most people now know her by her stage name, Brittany Murphy. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Murphy's father was heavily involved in organized crime and spent most of his life in and out of prison. As a result, her parents split when she was only two years old. Murphy and her mother moved to Edison, New Jersey shortly after the divorce. It was during this time that Murphy became interested in acting and performing. To encourage her talents, Murphy's mother enrolled her in Vern Fowler School of Dance and Theater in Colonia, New Jersey when she was five years old. It was there that Murphy took dance and voice lessons until she was in her early teens. Now by the time she was eight, she had determined she wanted to be famous. When Brittany was 12, her mother finally gave in to her daughter's wishes and began to get her headshots, looked to hire a manager, and drove her into Manhattan for auditions. Almost immediately, Murphy began landing jobs for television commercials. From there, she began making brief appearances on sitcoms such as Murphy Brown and Boy Meets World. In 1991, when Brittany was 14, Sharon decided to move to Los Angeles to further Brittany's acting career. Now, Brittany had an unusually close relationship with her mother. That's how it's been described. Sharon once said that they grew up together. They referred to each other as soulmates. Now, Brittany got her big break that same year as a regular on TV on a TV sitcom called Drexel's Class, which I'm not familiar with. Neither am I. When she wasn't working on set, Brittany attended... John Burroughs High School in Burbank, California. In 1995, Murphy got her real big break as Ty Frazier in the film Clueless, starring opposite Alicia Silverstone, which is one of my favorite movies. Is it? Yes. You're a virgin who can't drive. <laughs> That's what she told her share. <laughs> So, Clueless was a box office hit, grossing more than $11 million its first weekend. After the success of Clueless, Britney landed supporting roles in some independent films such as Freeway in 1996 and Bongwater in 1998. Then she made her Broadway, Broadway debut as Catherine in a production of Arthur Miller's A View from the Bridge in 1997, which is very... Admirable, like not everybody can make it on Broadway. Yeah, wow. You know, lots of celebrities, especially actors, strive to be in a Broadway play to say that they've done Broadway. And she did this in 1997. Murphy also went to star in major motion pictures such as Girl Interrupted in 1999 with Winona Ryder and Angelina Jolie, 8 Mile in 2002 with rapper Eminem, Sin City in 2005 with the star-studded cast that included Bruce Willis, Mickey Rourke, and Jessica Alba. Additionally, and my personal number one favorite, 
Britney voiced the role of Luann on the animated show King of the Hill from 1997 to 2009. She was the, she was the, what? Uncle Hank and Peggy. That's Britney Murphy. Yes, that's Britney wow. Murphy. Wow, I didn't even know that. In 2006, Murphy landed another voice role as Gloria in the computer animated musical comedy Happy Feet. Have you seen that? Yes, yeah, Happy Feet. Yeah, so yeah. She, and she's singing as Gloria. That's crazy. So I've never seen Happy Feet. No? No. Wow. Like, I'm not big into animated movies like that. But yeah, she is Gloria's voice and her singing voice. Because a lot of times, you know, the person who talks... Is not, not the, the person who person, sings. Yeah. So now this is just a small snippet of her work. She has upwards of forty-seven TV, film, and voice credits to her career. And Britney's career also included work as a singer. She once said, "My singing voice isn't like my speaking voice. I've just always kept it a secret and never taken credit because I wanted to learn how to work." behind the microphone in a recording studio and some of the singers don't even know it was me recording on their albums whoa she was in a band called blessed soul with fellow actor eric balfour in the early 1990s and in june 2006 murphy and paul oakenfold released the single faster kill pussycat from the album a lively mind the song became a club hit and hit number one on Billboard's Hot Dance Club Party Play Chart. It also hit number seven in Oakenfold's native UK in June 2006. Now, like, I, I looked it up and watched the video, mm -hmm. and she had kind of like a deep, raspy singing voice, and I definitely wouldn't have known it was her if I hadn't looked it up. So, again, that's Faster Kill Pussycat. You guys look it up. And it's actually kind of, it's, it's, it's kind of a bop. I'll give it, I'll give it that. I see how, how it made the charts. Now, in the early 2000s, Murphy lost a large amount of weight. It was so drastic and dramatic that it led to rumors of a cocaine addiction, eating disorders, and or plastic surgery. Brittany vigorously denied the rumors. She said she took ballet and it did wonders for her body. She also claimed that she was the same size as she was in Clueless and quote, it's just the weight in your face changes as you grow and get older. She said, this is my body and I'm proud of it. I'm healthy. However, when she starred in Clueless as Ty, she was cast to look refreshingly like someone who didn't fit the Hollywood mold. But even with that being said, she wasn't overweight. She was like barely even average size. But in contrast to Alicia Silverstone and uh, the girl who played Dion, she was like, quote unquote, heavier. Mm -hmm. But she really was like, not <laughs> like at all. Hollywood standards. Right. But as with most women in Hollywood... As her career took off, her weight plummeted while her chest appeared to get bigger. She dyed her hair blonde, capped her teeth, and appeared to have plastic surgery, although she repeatedly denied having been under the knife. 
Now, the Clueless director, Amy Heckerling, stated in an interview with the blogger that, quote, maybe she felt like she was not the, like, skinny, pretty girl, you know? And then the next few movies, she was, you know, thinner, blonde, you know, at MTV Movie Awards and all sorts of things like that. And going out with Eminem and Ashton Kutcher and, you know, suddenly got more into that whole glamorous scene. I think she felt the pressure to become a different sort of commodity to survive in show business. And I think it was awful. Mm. So that's what the director said. Around late 2002, Murphy began dating Ashton Kutcher, her co-star in Just Married, which I have seen that movie. I've seen a lot of her movies. She's one of my favorite actresses, to be honest. When I um, looked at a picture of her, um, I definitely was like, oh yeah, I remember, I remember seeing this lady, especially in 8 Mile. I definitely remember her. Yeah, so she, she was in a lot of stuff. Now, that relationship ended, and she got engaged to talent manager Jeff Quantinez. That relationship was also short-lived. And by December 2005, Murphy became engaged to Joe Macalusco, a production assistant she met while working on the film Little Black Book. In August 2006, they ended their engagement, and in May 2007, Murphy married British screenwriter Simon Monjack in a private Jewish ceremony in Los Angeles. Seems like she was just kind of looking for love. Mm-hmm. Now, for the last three and a half years of her life, Murphy, her mother Sharon, and Monjack lived together in the same house. Now, Brittany saw the stocky Englishman with the sexy accent and deep voice as he portrayed himself, a wealthy, educated, cultured filmmaker. Simon went to film school at NYU and found some success as a photographer and music video director, but faltered in his debut as a filmmaker, Two Days, Nine Lives, financed by his family. It was never released, and his family lost the investment, which he promised his mother he would repay, but never did. Mm, That's shady. Yes. And this is why her death is mysterious, because a lot of fingers point to people around her during this time. His mother says Simon ran through what little inherited money he had long before he met Brittany. Still, he told her he was heir to a fortune and was able to impress her with his knowledge of art and knack for languages and music. In a letter to the FBI, a woman he met in London in 1999 described Simon as very manipulative and said he lied to her about his wealth and properties. Richard Golub, a New York attorney and best-selling author who got involved with Simon, investigated Simon and confronted him, saying he didn't want to be in business with someone who was flim-flamming people. Flim-flam. Sir, you are a flim-flammer, and I will not be caught up in your skullduggery. Oh my gosh, what was, what was the thing from the, from the art case that, we, that you said? That he was a menace? <laughs> oh my gosh. Simon may have qualified as a menace as well. <gasps> Not a menace. Several times, Brittany was confronted with evidence of Simon's checkered past, but refused to believe it or chose to ignore it. Despite the evidence, Brittany believed Simon would provide financial security 
help her revive her career, and allow her to fulfill her dream of being a mother. She was in love and fiercely loyal. What she didn't know was that Simon was nearly broke in an illegal battle with the producer, Susan Stewart Potter, who hired him to direct, then discovered he was trying to cut her out. He eventually paid Stewart a legal settlement of more than $300,000. When Simon moved into Brittany's house, he didn't mention he was leaving his last fiance with thousands in unpaid rent on an L.A. apartment or that he had written numerous bad checks. Thousands of unpaid rent on an L.A. apartment can be like one month, actually. True that. Mm-hmm. For a one-bedroom closet. like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Literally, you open the door and that's the end. It's all right. You got 10 square feet. Don't make any noise. <laughs> like, yeah, $7,000 a month. <laughs> yeah. Shortly after they married, Brittany paid $10,000 to a casting director who had sued Simon over a bounce check. Simon, as many of Brittany's family members and friends believed, had created a web of paranoia around Brittany and used it to separate her from anyone who might challenge his dominance. Simon even lied about his mother, apparently to keep her from telling Brittany and Sharon the truth about him. Linda Monjack, his mother, says she met her daughter-in-law only once at a dinner in New York in 2007. But Simon communicated with his mother by phone and email nearly every day. Hmm. During the second year of their marriage, he fell off a ladder and that supposedly started his seizures, which he claimed were tied to brain tumors. Linda, however, believed her son developed Munchausen syndromes where a person fakes an illness to get attention. Mm. Munchausen's. So... She, as his mother, was giving him the side eye as well. Now, there was a power outage in their neighborhood in the early morning hours of December 20th, 2009. Shortly after the power came back on at around 3 a.m., Murphy went out onto the balcony to get some air. Monjack later told Larry King on Larry King Live she was gasping for breath and he called Sharon to come upstairs. It was Sharon who was with her when her daughter collapsed in the master bedroom. Around 7.30 a.m., now like four hours later, Brittany told Sharon, Mommy, I don't feel well. Murphy had been suffering from flu-like symptoms and had developed laryngitis and had seen a doctor, but otherwise seemed okay. When she collapsed at 8 a.m., Sharon screamed for Simon, and he at first tried to revive her with cold water in the shower while Sharon called 911. Paramedics attempted CPR and then rushed Murphy to L.A. Cedars-Sinai Medical Center, where she was pronounced dead at 10.04 a.m. An autopsy was performed, but the cause of death was deferred, as tends to be the case pending the results of toxicology tests. On February 25th, 2010, Murphy's death was officially ruled an accident caused by pneumonia, anemia, and multiple drug intoxication. Mm. 
Her type of severe iron deficiency, the autopsy report explained, leads to a weakened state of health and would increase her vulnerability to infection. Now, the substances found in her body included acetaminophen and hydrocodone, both found in the painkiller Vicodin, chlorpyrimine, the active ingredient in certain over-the-counter medications, and L-methamphetamine, a compound in some inhalers, which sometimes are used to ease the symptoms of pneumonia. The possible adverse psychological effects of elevated levels of these medications cannot be discounted, especially in her weakened state. Murphy's death was accidental but preventable, Los Angeles County Assistant Chief Coroner Ed Winter stated at the time. She had been sick for at least two weeks, and had they taken her to a doctor or a hospital, it would have been treatable. In a strange coincidence, Simon Monjack died at the age of 40 on May 23, 2010, at the same West Hollywood home where he and Sharon had continued to live after Murphy's death. And there was some strange going-ons with that. Like they said, they found bottles of medicine that said Sharon Monjack, which is her mother and her husband's last name. Like, it, it was a lot of weird innuendo going around there. Hmm. So, she died December 2009. He died May 2010. Monjack's publicist, Roger Neal, said that his client had looked fine when he last saw him two days prior, but Monjack supposedly had a heart condition. When initial autopsy findings were released in July 2010, his death, too, was attributed to pneumonia and anemia, just like Brittany's. Mm-hmm. Assistant Chief Coroner Ed Winter said his heart was slightly enlarged, but that wasn't a factor in his death. So not enlarged to the point where he would have had a heart surgery or anything like that. Yeah. Autopsy findings showed traces of medications in Monjack's system, but at no more than the therapeutic levels, and they were deemed unlikely to have contributed to his death. A final report issued in August 2010 penned the cause of death squarely on community-acquired bronchopneumonia. In January 2012, Brittany's father, Angelo Bertolotti, sued the L.A. County Department of Coroners over its finding and requested to have samples from his daughter's remains tested by an independent lab for other toxins or heavy metals. That suit was dismissed a few months later, but Bertolotti went on to commission an independent lab for further testing on strands of Brittany's hair, insisting that chronic arsenic poisoning could have been mistaken for anemia. Hmm. In 2013, Bertolotti claimed that the test results had come back showing traces of heavy metals, including barium, which is consistent with substances such as rat poison. The independent report obtained by CNN stated if they were or if we were to eliminate the possibility of a simultaneous accidental heavy metals exposure to the sample donor, 
then the only logical explanation would be an exposure to these metals or toxins administered by a third-party perpetrator with likely criminal intent. However, Dr. Bruce Goldberger, the Director of Forensic Medicine at the University of Florida and President of the American Board of Forensic Toxicology, called the report's conclusion ridiculous and said you couldn't determine if someone was poisoned by testing a single strand of hair and that the level of chemicals were consistent with hair dye being used. And as we know, with Brittany being an actor, she regularly changed her hair color. Yeah. There was also speculations of toxic mold being in the house because how else would a husband and wife die of the exact same thing months apart? You think it could have something to do with... uh asbestos and mesothelioma they didn't live there that long oh. however her mother Sharon never got sick and she lived there the entire time too yeah she'll be older with a weaker immune system so possibly mm-hmm. so if there was mold she would she have also been. been exposed yeah there's also been accusations that Sharon killed them both Really? Really. But they have never changed. They've never investigated any further, even with the independent lab results that her father got. And Sharon sold the house in July 2011 for $2.7 million. And in April 2014, Murphy's final movie, the supernatural thriller Something Wicked was finally released. Oh. Wow. And that's my case. That is so, so, so strange. Yeah. Mm-mm. Like, how does someone just, within a, a, the span of a few hours, die of pneumonia, and then five months later... Their husband also dies of pneumonia. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, That's why I picked this case because it was so weird. Yeah. I can see why but, fingers were pointing to her mother, but it didn't say anything like she had a big insurance payout. Yeah. Because I would assume it would go to her husband. Yeah. Like maybe her mother was like a beneficiary of some sort. Mm-hmm. Seeing as how they were like super close. Yeah, yeah. But. Uh, like something's there that I just can't put my finger on. Yeah. Like like he kills her and then kills himself. Right. Or he kills her and then the mother kills him. Kills him. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird that you know two people would would die of the same thing that far apart. Yeah. Like and then suddenly it's not like either of them was like in the hospital. For days or weeks, mm-hmm. struggling with pneumonia. No, it's like boom, boom, yeah. do, boom, done. So that that one that was pretty mysterious, and I that is. Like I feel like something's there, but I don't know. But either way, very untimely. Very untimely. She was such an actress. I enjoyed so many of her projects. 
I still can't believe that that was her and King of the Hill. Yes, I love King of the Hill. That's like one of my favorite cartoons. Man, it's really unfortunate, um, these two celebrity cases, because these two were instances of beloved, beloved um, celebrities and very, very strange conditions onto with, to which they met. And, of course, you can chalk them both up to suicides, but there's, there's just so many, like, like, but why, though? Like, why would that happen? Like, Britney, has a, Britney had a movie that Britney was featured in a movie that was coming out soon. Yeah, and her her death was so, you know, the, the doctor said because she was sick and not getting treated for it, like, she was kind of self medicating with like uh vicodin and cough syrup and stuff like that mm-hmm. that her immune system was so weak that it just kind of took her out mm-hmm. but you know they and that's why a lot of her family and friends said they blamed her husband because they they kept saying he was making her paranoid she didn't want to go out she didn't want to go see a doctor like, she was so paranoid of, like, the paparazzi and people following her and, and getting a stalker. Because, mm. like we said in two episodes ago. Those stalkers, man. Yeah, they they can be crazy. Mm-mm. Stalkers be tripping. Stalkers be tripping. So, they, they said that, like, he kind of fed that into her to make her paranoid to keep his, like, grasp over her. And... Even when she was sick, she didn't want to get help for it. And that's what led to her death. Because she was just so, like, weak from the anemia. But it's sad. It's, like, so sad. Like, because it could have been avoided had she went to a doctor and got proper medication. That's what they're saying. It could have been avoided. But as for her husband, he supposedly was fine two days before he died. Like, he, he just immediately fell ill and died of the same exact thing and that's just Mm-mm. police don't believe in coincidences and I say this as a burgeoning FBI agent we do not believe in coincidences two people in the same household dying of the exact same manner of death months apart that's not a coincidence that's murder yeah it's not coincidence either murder 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 suicide not coincidence. Suicide then came back and murdered. Ooh. Ghost murder. Ghost murder. My my hearing in this my hearing a next case here. My hearing Ghost Murders. My hearing episode twenty four Ghost Murders. So yeah, it was it's really weird and, and she was definitely still in her you know, she still had a, a lot of good years left. She was only mm-hmm. like thirty two. She still could have been a great actress. Man. So, so, so unfair. So, how are you going to bring this back up, V? You know, I've been thinking. With these um, trickling water filter sounds in the background, I think we should talk about how the ocean is like infinite and you know maybe sometime in the future we could traverse to the ocean and live there ourselves 
So you mean inside the ocean? Yeah, like you know, like we'll we'll build inside the ocean. Because like ten thousand leagues under the sea. I was thinking more like Bioshock, but yeah, okay. Because like you know, you can't have natural disasters under the ocean other than earthquakes, because like you know, those those take out everything. But you can't have tsunamis in the ocean, inside the ocean. You can't have hurricanes inside the ocean. You can't have wildfires inside the ocean. What about whales, um, giant squid, um, the ocean floor just gives out and goes down for miles and we just can't even go that far because the pressure will burst you? Key, I'm supposed to bring this up right now. And you kind of, you kind of, I'm harshing your vibe. <laughs> you're, you're putting a pin in my balloon right now. I'm just saying, there's lots of unknowns in that water. It's mm-hmm. dark down there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if that's the way you want to live, join the Navy, live on a submarine. There you go. I think, it, no, I, I think it's, I think submarine. I don't know if I would go crazy in submarine. It's, I have it's, claustrophobia. You wouldn't make it then. I've been mm-hmm. inside a submarine. Have you? Yes. I have lived a wild life. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's a very tight fit. It is not fun at all. I was so ready to get out. Like, like, like it, it would be cool at first to see, like, you know, under the under the sea, like, just see what's going on down there. But the other while, I think I'd be ready to bounce back onto land, too. Would you get on a boat? On the surface like of the water. In Charleston, South Carolina, there is a like park. Well, not a park, kind of like a um, you know, like a attraction. Yeah. And they have two decommissioned submarines mm-hmm. that you can go in, and like you know, it takes you. It's kind of like a maze. Like, you have to, like, follow it around. They do have some stuff, like, walled off with plexiglass so you don't get lost. Mm -hmm. But you basically, like, go down into it, and you walk through for, like, almost an hour. Jeez. And you see, like, how little the beds are, the bathrooms, the, like, how small the doorways are. And, like, you know, you go, they show you the kitchen. Like, they show you all kinds of stuff. Like, it's, it's crazy. If you ever go down to Charleston, definitely go to that um, attraction and see the submarines and, like, you get to view them and, like, walk through them as, as long as you want. Hmm. And it is a claustrophobic person's worst nightmare because I could not imagine being in that metal tube in that tight space. Even though they're huge, the space that you actually can move around in is so small mm-hmm. and then you're underwater. So it's not like you can just go out and breathe some fresh air, <laughs> fresh air. So fresh you, water, you keep your Bioshock dream. Okay. Keep hope alive. But with you being claustrophobic, I don't know how that'll work out. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Well, um, now that I've rained on that parade. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't even happen underwater, but hmm. you know, whatever. Well, is water wet or is wet the condition that comes from water? That's a condition. So water isn't wet? Yeah. No? No. 
So what is it? It's is it water. dry? What? What's another word that you know is just made up? It's just another made up word. All words are made up. Yeah, I guess so. So you're saying water is not wet. Water is a made up word, also. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that on the record. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're avoiding my question. Um. What else do you would like to talk about this episode? Other than water being ep- wet. Epilogue. Other than water being wet or not being wet. Yeah, I like to thank all the listeners that doesn't. I've discombobbled V with my is water wet question. Yeah. Yeah, I'm melted right now. I'm done. Thank you for listening to episode 23 of We Shouldn't Talk About This. Yes, thank you so much to all our listeners everywhere around the world. Australia, we see you. We know you're listening. I'm so excited. Again, send me a marriage proposal and a plane ticket. I'm there. Um... We shouldn't talk about this at gmail.com. We shouldn't talk about this podcast Facebook group. Wstat underscore pod on Twitter and Instagram. And download good pods and follow V. Volts at Voltsner, the half of We Shouldn't Talk About This. And also check out our YouTube page or recommend us to your friends. You know, the best thing we could ever get from any of our listeners is a five-star review on iTunes or Good Pods or any of the other apps that lets you give us a rating. If you like us, please recommend us. Word of mouth is tremendous for our growth. Hopefully, we'll be able to go to CrimeCon and meet people. But we have to grow. We have to grow. And we need you in order to do that. Yes, we're all in this together. We are. So tell a friend to tell a friend. Even tell the people that you hate to listen to us. That's right. Let's get it around. You'll find someone that doesn't want to listen. But guess what? You're going to convince them because you know that Key and B give you the goodness. We do. And one way to do that is to borrow their phone, go to their YouTube app, subscribe to our page, but don't tell them. Then we'll just start popping up in their subscriptions. On Tuesdays. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, huh, who is this? When did I subscribe to this? Let me listen. Yeah. Let's see what this is about. Yeah. So with that being said, I'm Key. And I'm V. And this has been We Shouldn't Talk About This. Thanks for listening. Bye.